Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Thank you. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you, bro. Give me a hug. <laughs> Let me bless you. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. And uh, I want to just jump right in. It's been wonderful to meet Joshua and Jordan and uh, just see what the Lord's doing here and know that um, we're, we're able to run with people of what Paul called like precious faith. And whatever we don't have in common or whatever we don't know about each other, the scriptural command is to know no man by the flesh but by the spirit anyway. And so we're getting to know one another, and it's an awesome privilege to be here. I love the way the Lord, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to say you've been delivered from the system um, when you were eating the crumbs of the system. It's another thing to say you were delivered from the system when you had gone to the pinnacle of what that system has to offer, and that's certainly the story here. So I don't, I don't in, my, in, in the natural, I don't know why I said yes to coming here. Not, I mean that in an arrogant way at all. I just don't accept invitations to go speak at places. This invitation came across my desk, and, I, and, and Kristen is here at the very, I, on the top right corner. I write no on all of them. I read all of them, and I, I say I pray about it. <laughs> I mean, like, if the audible voice of God came and said go, and two large angels were there, I would go, you know, but I, I'm... I'm, I'm this, when, when it came across my desk and, and Joshua had been very faithful to email and update us with what was going on, I just couldn't shake the fact that some of what Yahweh was planning in my heart about Columbia had to do with this man and, and now meeting his wife, this woman. And so I'm very stirred about this city. This is our capital. And um, this is the face of the Statue of Liberty is Columbia. And so this is where we need to manifest a reclamation that brings about a transformation. And so I'm, I'm, I'm here because I love this city and I'm getting to know this man and this woman. Look forward to getting to know the little one. I like little people more than grown people. So, so that'll be an awesome thing. Go with me to Genesis 29. I'm going to do what we do. We're just going to jump in here and begin to teach and uh, see what the Holy Spirit would say to us and through us. And I feel like I'm here in a one of the wonderful things about traveling out is I get to be there in more of a prophetic capacity because I know so little about what's going on here. So I'm just going to speak into some of the things I'm feeling and sensing. And Genesis chapter 29, I'm going to begin reading. But before I do, I don't ever have a title for things, but I'm going to travel back into some things we've covered before in relationship to the dream and the name of the church here being Dream Church, obviously. But I wrote, I wrote this on the top of my notebook as soon as I, I sat down in here this evening, and I said, leaving the inferiority of the familiar in order to embrace the dream. And those of you from home that came in to be with us that are part of our house there in Batesburg know this past Sunday morning I spoke on familiarity, on Abraham out of Hebrews 11 being willing to leave the familiar in order to embrace the territory he was designed to inherit. And I feel like I'm here in a prophetic capacity to talk about how leaving familiarity positions you to embrace something that may seem completely unfamiliar, but is actually the place you'll inherit the most significant sense of identity, which is, I believe, Columbia for this family. So Genesis chapter 29, uh, beginning in verse 1. 
Let me put my reading spectacles on here. Genesis 29, verse 1, Then Jacob hurried on, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance, three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all of the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? Jacob asked. Yes, we do, they replied. He is doing well. Is he doing well, Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flocks now. Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they can go back out to pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. There are some drinks that Yahweh reserves for people who begin to understand the revelation of unity. We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. There is a dimension of a drink of living water that you and I were designed for that will not come until we embrace unity. As I was asking Yahweh on the way here why I felt a particular urge to come here, I feel like a lot of it has to do with this man and this woman and the family that you have here. Beyond that, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, what's the first time anybody's invited you? We get hundreds of invitations to speak around the world. We get none within driving distance of our house. We used to go to Greenville, Spartanburg areas, a church there that we had fellowship with and association for years and years and haven't been back there in quite some time. But I began to look and I began to think about where the invitations come from. And the invitations come from, you know, to come do the stadium deal here, there, and yonder, and churches and different organizations and leadership conferences. But what's happening, I believe, is Yahweh is going to begin to draw some flocks together because there's going to be a company of people that are more concerned with getting the drink they desire from heaven than they are with guarding their flock from other flocks. So you're going to begin to see a synergy prophetically begin to happen. It'll probably take that generation to have the hunger and humility to say, it's not going to be all about my show. It's not going to be all about my thing. I'm going to honor what Yahweh's doing somewhere else. And I believe we're here to help open the well a little wider for Dream Church and begin to see all of us begin to drink from a deeper dimension by being here. That's one of the things I think Holy Spirit is showing me. So he says in verse 8, we can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds move the stone from the mouth of the well and we water all all the sheep and goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from his mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard 
heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, you really are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eye, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. I like to point out that that's in that order for Jacob there. So she had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. Watch this. The B clause of verse 20, one of my favorite lines in all of the scripture. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Seven years of labor seemed to him but a few days because his love for her was so strong. Verse 21, finally the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement. Jacob said to Laban, now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So That's a man right there. Verse 22, so Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood, prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Now, this whole thing takes place the, 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 as, as I begin reading here, we're coming on the heels of Jacob's encounter with the Lord. And Jacob's encounter with the Lord is the place where Jacob began to experience the dream. Jacob began to experience the dream of what we call Jacob's ladder, which was angels ascending on either a, 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 a ladder or more like a staircase. The staircase ran from heaven to earth. It didn't run from, it, I'm sorry, it ran from earth to heaven, didn't run from heaven to earth. It's very important to understand that much of what hasn't been instigated has, has failed to be instigated because there has been a company of people that have been leading the body to believe if it's God's will, he'll send it. And we've never learned to build a lifestyle of devotion and hunger for proximity that causes us to begin to climb into the dimensions whereby we begin to experience exchange. So sitting and wondering which church God's going to pick for revival and which person God's going to choose to heal and which person God's going to choose to save, that illegitimate understanding of Yahweh's sovereignty has caused us to live in a state of flux. We've lived very unstable. And now what Yahweh's beginning to do is Yahweh's beginning to locate companies of people that understand that they have been given a responsibility and an opportunity to instigate something by way of their own hunger. 
And this tonight is going to be a lot about longing, a lot about what's been so important in my own life, the law of longing. So immediately following Jacob's dream at Bethel, I believe the enormity, and I want to say this prophetically for you guys, I've got some new notes on this. Immediately following Jacob's dream at Bethel, I believe the enormity of Jacob's dream and subsequent encounter at Bethel is purely a consequence of Jacob believing that Yahweh would remain distant from him based on the scheme he and his mother Rebecca used to steal his brother Esau's birthright. In essence, in essence, the dream is an announcement that the mistakes of your past are not permitted to abort Yahweh's dreams concerning your future. The dream itself is fantastic, but what's more amazing is the trickster was still being invited into the dream. The dream, I'm going to give you some of the nuances of the dream. The dreams are fantastic. But if I was going to have a church called Dream Church, I would dream that it would be filled with people embracing the reality that your mistakes are not big enough to stop you from being a part of the dream. And then I would want it to become this reaching force into a community that is stuck in dead, dry religion. And it become an announcement to all of why, why Yahweh would plant you here. To become an announcement to people who have marred and seemingly ruined their lives based on their own mistakes. And you would come establish an epicenter here where you can dream again because you're proving Yahweh's presence is an announcement that the mistakes of your past are not big enough to stop the dream. How many dreams have we muted because we believed that our performance was connected to our ability to inherit the dream? It kept us from the dimension of grace and mercy that's actually essential if we're going to inherit something that's so much bigger than what we could ever earn. What Yahweh wants to do in this city, what Yahweh wants to do in cities like this city, what Yahweh wants to do through families in cities like this is he wants to make an announcement. He wants to make an announcement that there is a degree of restoration available that if people would begin to embrace the degree of restoration available, your own transformation would become such a shining light into the community that others would be infected by the hope that came, not because you dotted every I and crossed every T, but because you experienced a dimension of mercy and grace from Yahweh that said, there's a thousand reasons why I should not be the one with this dream, but there's one reason I'm still holding on to the dream. That reason is mercy. It's mercy that endures forever and mercy that is new every morning. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. So I want to talk a little bit more about the dream. In essence, the dream is an announcement that the mistakes of your past are not permitted to abort Yahweh's dreams concerning your future. In Jacob's dream, remember he saw a ladder or a stairway from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Interestingly, the ladder, I mentioned this a moment ago, or stairway reached from earth to heaven. The fountains of the deep were opened and the flood came. Okay, so rain doesn't start in heaven. Rain starts in earth. The, the three times the windows of heaven are mentioned, every time the window of heaven is affected by the activity of man. First time the windows of heaven are mentioned are in the flood of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. How was it in the days of Noah? The fountain of the deep was opened, and when the fountain of the deep was opened, the heavens responded to something being opened in a deep place. See, that's why this worship in here tonight was like, I know y'all wanted to get through with it and get me up here. I'm like, we can hang here a while because there was a deep, oh man, 
beginning to stir in this little hidden room in this neighborhood that you would not have picked to put your church in, right? There's a, there's a deep that's beginning to happen. What that will do is that will provoke something in the heavens. Deep cries out to deep doesn't just talk about what heaven uses to cry out to us. It talks about what we use to cry out to heaven. Deep cries out to deep, the law of relatable dimension. Shallow can only speak to shallow, but it takes deep to speak to deep. And when a deep sound versus a surface entertaining mega church sound, when, when that one goes away and the deep sound begins to be released from the dreamer that knows they got here by way of mercy, all of a sudden that begins to move things in the heavenly dimension. We begin to experience a rain that I believe is the water that was being prophesied about when it talked about former rain and latter rain coming all together in one month. Former rain and latter rain come together in one month when a unified company of people make a decision that they want the mercy that they have received to create a deeper expression and cry concerning the goodness of Yahweh. So getting, getting all of that because it's going to help us understand some more about the dream. Okay. So he sees a ladder and there, there are three times the windows of heaven are mentioned. They're mentioned in the days of Noah. The second time they're mentioned is by way of the prophet Elisha who is prophesying that a drought is coming to an end. And when he says that a man, the, a man on whom's hand the king leaned heavily says to Elisha, if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could it not be so? This is in essence what he's saying. He's saying there's a drought and it's going to rain so much that by this time tomorrow, everything will be back to normal. The drought and the famine produced as a consequence of the drought will be ended in a moment because of the goodness of Yahweh. And a man on whom's hand the king leaned heavily said to Elisha sarcastically, if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, it couldn't be so. The Lord didn't have to make windows in heaven. Noah told us there were already windows in heaven. The third time that we're most familiar with is Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? How have we robbed God? You've robbed me with the tithes and offerings, but prove me in this and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. There's not room enough to receive. What, in, what produces that? The tithe and offering. So understanding what we are doing out of a deep place of hunger and longing is actually giving the heavens permission to release what the heavens have longed to release, that it would be unsafe for that dimension to be released into a company of people who were captured in an inferior definition of longing. Okay? You don't have to know what you're doing. You just have to want this more than you've ever wanted anything in your life. You don't have to know what you're talking about. You don't have to have a strategy. You don't have to have a scheme. You just have to want him more than you've ever wanted anything. And that measure of longing is so uncommon to Yahweh in the earth that when he finds it, those people will never be without manifest presence. They'll never be without glory. If you ever find a time in your life where you're absent of the degree of presence that you long for, it'll always be connected to your hunger, never his sovereignty. If you ever find a time in your life you're absent of the degree of presence you've hungered and longed for, it'll never be a product of his sovereignty. It'll always be a consequence of us not being hungry. Why? Because his promise is, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, he's, so sovereignty is as provoked on that law as it is any other law. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. So my job is not to get people fed. My job is to create an atmosphere that provokes hunger. That was here tonight. It was here tonight in this expression of worship. So let's go on. Let's go on. We got some, we got some ground to cover. Okay. What is to be initiated by our reach 
that the earth is missing out on? What is to be initiated by our longing that the earth is missing out on? Let me talk to you about five aspects of Jacob's dream, and I want to see this in light of Columbia. Five aspects of Jacob's dream in light of this family in Columbia. Aspect number one of Jacob's dream, this is what Yahweh says to him. The ground you are on belongs to you. The ground you are on belongs to you. Number two, I'm giving this land to you and your descendants. Two different promises. There's a lot that belongs to us that's not ours. So the the first expression of the promise is this. The ground that you are on belongs to you. Awesome. No, no, no. Not unless we get to part two of that, which is now I'm leveraging into your control that that belongs to you. There are so many things concerning the kingdom Yahweh has made available to us that we don't have our fingerprints on at all. And so what he's doing is he's causing a people to come into the necessary revelation that it's not enough to have promises in your possession. You actually have to contend for the promise until you have the fulfillment of the promise in your possession. It's not enough to carry a journal full of prophecies. At some point in time, that has to become an actualization. There has to be a realization of that that Yahweh has promised. So the ground you're on belongs to you. Number two, I'm giving this land to you and your descendants. I believe there are some things we will never take possession of until we begin to think in terms of our descendants. If it's all about you, Jacob, then you're not going to be in position to receive what I have for you. But if you ever begin to understand that this land is for you, yes, and your descendants. Number three, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Number four, they will spread out in all directions. Number five, all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. So the first phase of the promise is the land belongs to you. The second phase of the promise is I'm giving this land to you and your descendants. The third is your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. The fourth is your descendants will spread out in all directions. And the fifth, all the families in the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. So four of the five aspects of Jacob's prophecy through Jacob's dream at Bethel have to do with the next generation. Four of the five. The first one is the land belongs to you. But I'm not going to give you what belongs to you until you start thinking in terms of descendants. And when you start thinking generationally, there are promises that begin to be leveraged in your direction that would have never come your way as long as you were thinking in terms of personal destiny. This may may be the single greatest trap that we've fallen into in the charismatic world is narcissism. Every prophecy is about me. It's about how it's going to promote me. It's about how it's going to grow me. It's about what it's going to do for my destiny. And even the word, if we're not careful, then we'll lose the reality of what it means to dream because we'll only think in terms of self. Think about this. What do, you, what do you think, you're standing in a church called Dream Church, what do you think when you hear the word dream? Do you think I want my life to be better by this time tomorrow? Or do you think in terms of, I want my life to become a seed? I want to embrace an acorn revelation so that we can have an oak grove reality. And people begin to plant their lives in the soil of the kingdom of God and think in terms of generations. Four of the five 
aspects of Jacob's dream have to do with descendants. They'll fill the earth, they'll fill the earth like dust. They'll be, so, they'll be innumerable. What is this? This is, okay, let me. Whew. What is this? This is Yahweh reminding Jacob of Abraham's dream. This is not Jacob's dream. Jacob's dream is not Jacob's dream. Jacob's dream <laughs> is being leveraged into his world by the faith of his grandfather, Abraham. See, Jacob is about to become Israel. The trickster is about to become Yahweh's favorite nation. And this degree of transformation is coming, and you can track all the way back to Hebrews 11 and find the faithfulness of Abraham. Now Jacob is dreaming a dream that's bigger than himself because he had a grandfather that was willing to see, come on, the future of the promise of Yahweh was going to be fulfilled through a grandson. So look at Hebrews 11. I didn't know I was going to do this, but I guess I am. <laughs> Hebrews 11. We won't go far, but verse 8. Hebrews 11, 8 out of the Passion Translation. Faith motivated Abraham to obey Yahweh's call to leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. That territory is what Jacob is receiving as an inheritance in Genesis 29. Now, listen, Abraham never owned an acre in the promised land. Hebrews 11 says he went through like a foreigner living in tents. But the cool part of it is this. So faith motivated Abraham. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in faith. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. I think it meant more to Abraham to know that it was going to be Jacob, the grandson, that inherited the promise than it ever would have meant to Abraham if he would believe it would have lived and died with him. Remember, Saul can't think this way. So his reign never even moves beyond his lifetime. Isn't that interesting? Saul doesn't even get a son to sit on the throne because he can't think generationally. He can only think in terms of narcissistic, selfish dreams, selfish ambition. Because of that, Yahweh goes and finds David. David thinks in generational terms. Therefore, David has a throne that goes on not just until Yeshua sits on the throne of David, but actually now sits on that throne, the scripture says, forever. David's line never ended. Saul's line never lived beyond himself. And the difference was an ability to think in terms of generations. When Abraham went into the promised land living in a tent as a foreigner, he was actually taking Jacob to the land that would have Jacob's name in it. They were going to Israel. 
There is no Israel yet because Jacob has not been processed into the position to be able to receive the inheritance of a promise. Here's the thing. If the legacy is not just about me, it's about future generations, then maybe the dream is not just my dream. I'm actually inheriting past dreams from past generations. See, it's, 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 it's not enough to think in terms of forward if you're going to think in terms of timelessness. If you're going to get untethered from time, you don't just see 400 years ahead. You also then get to see 400 years behind and realize there are promises over Columbia that go back to secession being signed right down the street over here. We could walk to the place where the papers of secession were signed so that we could prove that we were going to be the most zealous to keep slavery alive and well, the purpose of the whole thing. So then Yahweh begins to speak to a couple like this. Why not go there and make the place that was the pinnacle for slavery, the new pinnacle for liberty? Why not reverse the curse and realize that when they came to colonize this land, they were led by the promise of the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. To the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. I believe what Yahweh is doing is he's looking for a company of people who said, you know what? I will plant my life not just to make sure that the next generation is positioned. That's such a, such a significant motivation for me. But also to leverage in into reality promises that have been on hold because of narcissism. What have we not leveraged into the earth by way of the kingdom? Because we've only thought in terms of how big we can get our church and how fast. Plan another campus, have another service. Come on, go big, 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 big. What do we need to do? What do we, what, how do we become the Chick-fil-A of the church? 17 current prospering church growth Listen, 17 current prospering church growth mechanisms, not one of them is based on the Bible. 17 current prospering church growth methods, 100% of them are based on a franchise model. Create a consumer, show them a brand, mark them with your brand until they can't live without your product. And what happens is you then become responsible for feeding people out of an inferior dimension and you end up under the press, pressure and the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the depression that came as a consequence of your own narcissism because you were unwilling to long for presence to the point that you would wait as long as it took in order to see the rain that could cause the seed to germinate that maybe have been on hold in Colombia for hundreds of years. Man, I got some stuff moving in my heart. Hallelujah. So he takes Isaac and Jacob with him and they were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. Jacob was stepping into Israel and Israel was becoming Israel because Jacob was stepping into it. Did Jacob identify Israel or did Israel identify Jacob? Yes. Did Jacob identify Israel or did Israel identify Jacob? Yes, absolutely. What happened was, see, the land has been waiting on you to name it. And you've been waiting on the land to name you. 
And if you'll start telling the land who she is, the land will start telling you who you are. See, if you can ever start naming the land redeemed, she'll start calling you father. If you can come reverse the curse on the land, the land will unlock every necessary resource for her own colonization. Jacob was going to Israel. There's no such thing as Israel because Jacob's not Israel yet. See, the promise was waiting on Jacob to step into his identity so the land could then have permission to step into hers. When you plant yourself, you get seeded. You have apostolic fathers and voices in your life that give you permission to be who you are. Things start waking up on the inside of you while things start waking up in the land around you. And your deep starts to cry out to the deep, not just of heaven, but the deep of earth. Remember, in the days of Noah, what moved heaven were the fountains of the deep in the earth. Okay, The fountains of the deep in the earth released the rains of heaven that can find no place to attach themselves to until they find a planted father of righteousness by the name of Noah. So when you plant yourself here and you choose to not do the pastor first lady thing, <laughs> but you start doing the mom dad thing. See, that's the thing. You, you've, you, 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 um, you messed with me as soon as I walked in the room because you're my man, my wife. And that's about as high a compliment as I can pay any, any human on earth. But what I saw in here is I saw, oh, no, this is not a minister's wife. It's a mom. It's a mother. See, what happens is when he got out of the system, you went from being a side item within a system that can only value people based upon the certain set of skills to a place where you say, what I can be is an incubator of a womb, of a place to make people safe that don't have any heritage, that don't have any legacy, that don't have any hope, that don't have any sense of home. So when you start dreaming that dream, that what happens is your identity starts to shift. And when your identity starts to shift, it starts to cause the land around you to respond. That's why all of creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why? Until you figure out you're a son, the earth will never know what she could produce. The earth will never know how well she could be ordered. The earth will never know the degree of freedom from chaos she was designed for until you can learn the free degree of the freedom from the degree of chaos you're living in. See, the answer for a world in chaos is a man in order. So when you come into the order that you were designed for, you being in order gives creation permission to become, in this sense, Israel. Columbia is to father global transformation. This is what I've been carrying about this. I told them in the back. So when I first came here, I didn't even, I didn't even like Columbia. I avoided this place. They agreed. They didn't know exactly what you're talking about. And, but it shifted. See, it's all shifted. And the reason it shifted is because the suns are starting to rise and the earth is starting to respond. Now, you can, you can, they, they can point to city councilmen and they can point to mayors. And they can point, well, you, any, I'll, I'm happy for anybody to have credit for what we're doing. But we're doing this. 
because the earth is not crying out for a good plan from the city council. She's crying out for the unveiling of the sons of Yahweh. And when the sons, oh, when the sons begin to rise up in the earth and become glorious the way they were designed to be glorious, all of a sudden things that have been locked up start to be unlocked. It starts to affect the economy. It starts to affect the criminal justice system. It See, a seated father in a city starts to deal with the root of all dysfunction in a culture, which is fatherlessness. So every problem this city had that could be fixed by putting a legitimate father in every home can start to be fixed by putting one legitimate father in the ultimate home, which is the house of God. I feel such hope in this, man. So don't see what's happening here as little. Stop. Don't see what's happening. It doesn't matter how many people. We prove that continually. It, it doesn't matter how many people. It matters how seated you get. How how how. Willing are you to become a father to an orphan planet? Because if you can adopt the planet, you get everything in it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about in an environmental sense. You understand what I mean when I say adopt the planet? I mean the planet was designed to be under the governmental rule of sons. It was established in the garden, and Yahweh never changed the plan. And so the earth is caught in a cycle of futility because we are, have become illegitimate through what, by way of religion through narcissism and a commitment to personal destiny and success with no willingness to think in terms of past or, or, or future generations. What happens in all of that is the earth just continues to spin and is not producing her glory. So what you do then is you begin to take a place at the time. Let me get super vulnerable with you. The biggest argument Yahweh and I have had, as if he argues, (laughs) the biggest area where he has allowed me to, in ignorance, vent, let me say it like that, has been why would he establish the glory dimension he's given to us in the wilderness rather than put it in somewhere like Columbia? And I know, I know why now, but I didn't initially. It didn't make a lot of sense. You're poor revival. We'll pour it out here for a little while until we get it figured out, and then we'll take it somewhere else where it can actually do some damage. But no, he keeps it in that hidden place. Why? Because he's looking for a voice to awaken Columbia's father, not become Columbia's father. And I can have my city or I can have my sons and see them have their cities. So I don't ever have to wonder about Columbia anymore. I found her paternal answer. So what I think and dream now in terms of is what can I do to reinforce this son and daughter who have been established here to get this orphan spirit off of this city, to to deal with the root. Everything you see with drugs, everything you see with crime, everything you see with substance abuse, everything you see with, 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 with sexual immorality, everything you see in any aspect of depravity that comes as a consequence of dysfunction is connected to the absence of a seated present father. We can't put a seated present father in every natural home, but we can raise up Yahweh's ultimate intention for the home, which is the tabernacle of the living God becomes this place where a mother and father are seated and they begin to one at the time. How do you reverse the curse? One at the time. 
reverse the curse. There's a curse on Jericho. Jesus has an encounter with one man born blind. He uses the one man born blind to initiate the, re the, the reverse of the curse. Noah, after the flood, lands on a mountain called Ararat. Ararat means the curse reversed. One man, eight people, turned the curse on the whole globe. What you're doing here is a big deal. Come on, what you're doing here is a big deal. So let's go a little bit further because there's a, there's, a, there's a question we all have to ask when we read the whole Jacob, Leah, Rachel story, right? The question, how did you not know it was Leah? Huh? Come on, come on, right? Like you know that ain't Rachel. I got this, I got this description of Leah. And I got this description of Rachel. Okay. Right? Okay. How do you not know that it's Rachel? <laughs> Let me see here. Could Leah possibly represent the ministry that many of us settled for because of the poverty of our longing? Could Leah possibly represent the ministry that many of us settled for because of the poverty of our longing? We, under the government of illegitimate fathers, climbed in bed with dysfunctional vision. Leah was weary-eyed. Leah's name actually means weary. Maybe that's why we got so tired in the system. Because illegitimate fathers led us, Laban. Laban, Laban is not just an issue in this Rachel story. Laban is, Laban is an issue back in his sister Rebecca's marriage to Jacob's father Isaac where he plays the role six times, six times a brother plays the role that should have been being played by the father. Laban and Rebekah had a father by the name of Bethuel. Bethuel was not a present father, therefore you ended up with a brother playing a role that belonged to a father, which is a lot of what happened in ministry that brought the deterioration of the necessary honor regarding, regarding authority. And your, 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 your pastor just became your brother. Matter of fact, the, the man that I grew up in with around who was absolutely an apostle is still known in, my, in the area I grew up in as Brother John. And to those people, that's all they'll ever get. Not based on the title. I don't care what you call him. We still call him Brother John. But we don't call him Brother John in the sense of he's just one of us. We bow. Come on, we set ourselves a little lower to recognize the greatness of what Yahweh has placed on a life of faithfulness. Not perfection, not never made mistakes, but faithfulness that has, is now causing me to get to inherit some of John's dreams. Some of the things that were promised him that he may look and say, well, I never fulfilled that in my lifetime. Yeah, but he's able to look into what Yahweh's doing through Carolina Revival and say then it was all worth it because one kid who was 11 years old growing up around the manifestation of the spirit it's stuck in that one kid and now we're experiencing this and so it sticks in one and it sticks in another and that becomes the means whereby we experience transformation so how how does jacob not know that he's in bed with leah instead of rachel how does he not know 
How does he not know? I believe the reason that he doesn't know is because he had aligned himself with whoever he felt like he needed to align himself with in order to get what he wanted. So he ends up for 14 years serving under the government of a manipulator, ends up married to a woman he has no affection for in order to get the one thing that he genuinely longed for. Now, the same family, Laban has a sister named Rebecca, who marries Jacob's father, Isaac. Do you know how long Isaac had to work? Do you know how long Isaac had to work to get Rebecca from the same family? Not a day. Why? Because Isaac wasn't there to stay. Isaac was going to take what Yahweh had designed for him and he was going to bring it back to his father's house. Jacob's mess up with Esau caused him to disconnect from the degree of relationship he was intended to have with his father Isaac. Because there's a disconnect between a father and the son, now you find a son in 14 years of slavery to get what should have been given to him the day he kissed her outside of a well. And we've fallen into the lie that if we're not killing ourselves and we're not burning the candle at both ends and we're not weary and we're not discouraged and we're not frustrated, then we're not doing anything for God. And Yahweh's saying, I'm looking for a people who trust me to say, I'm going to stay, remain in my father's house and nothing I'm supposed to have will I miss out on. And if Rachel's supposed to be mine, then I'm not going to serve some dysfunctional vision in ministry in order to get the platform that I want so I can see my dreams get fulfilled. No, I'm going to follow the pattern of the father's house. And by way of following the pattern of the father's house, I'm going to inherit what other people have had to work for. That's my intention. My intention is for my sons not to have to earn it. My intention is for my sons to inherit it, not because I earned it, but because I became the first generation that recognized the stuff I'm after is far too valuable to ever be earned. All right. So, so how, how does he not know? How does he not know? <laughs> how does he not know? Okay. So. This is what I believe ultimately happens in this. I'll start kind of trying to wind this down a little bit. We have justified intimacy with Leah because she's at least related to what we were originally passionate for. Leah is Rachel's sister. And what we've said is, no, that's not what I was originally passionate about, but it's related So somebody who grew up around signs and wonders and miracles and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost and the outpouring and breakout and revival all of a sudden settles for something. If I can use your life as an example, I could do the same thing with mine. Of course, it's really still Jesus, man. It's still the Bible. It's still wanting to see people repeat the prayer. We're trying to keep people from going to hell. Isn't that the whole point? And you end up missing your connection to the past. That's where you receive the grace to reinvigorate the future. How much dysfunctional vision have you and I been in bed with that we justified because it was related to what we were originally passionate about? I'm telling you, I can, I can, I can, 
because my, my theological background is apologetics, I can argue both sides of, of any coin. And I can look at, because of that a, a, a background in apologetics, I can look at the way people justify, um, don't let the Holy Spirit move like that because it can offend people. And I can understand scripturally why they would try to justify that. The problem is, it is not an apologetics issue, it's a longing issue. It's an issue of having settled for dysfunctional vision. And you know what? Hey, there's some great kids came out of Leah. Yeah. Judah, Reuben. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some great, Leah, Leah had some great kids. So you can say, you know what? It's producing good things, but there's no Joseph in there. See, Rachel doesn't have near as many, but the one she has is a dreamer. The one she has is a dreamer. And you know what will happen? Leah's offspring will always try to kill Rachel's. You know who sold Joseph into slavery? Leah's offspring. You feel it? Huh? You know who sold him into slavery? You know who took the coat of many colors and shredded it up and covered it with the blood of an animal and tried to convince the father that he had been destroyed by a wild beast? He had been destroyed by a wild beast. And I'm watching people be destroyed by the wild beast of becoming intimate with something that's familiar. And familiarity is causing us, listen, to cut illegal covenants in the area of intimacy. And we are actually in bed with ideas about Jesus, and we're a thousand miles away from intimacy with Jesus himself. Our books are filled with ideas about Jesus. They are not filled with the face of Jesus. And you and I were not supposed to simply be able to describe the nuances of his world. We were supposed to be able to describe the features of his face. To understand the nuances of his world, I can read a hundred books on the kingdom of God. To know the details of his face, I'm going to have to be yielded in a place called seated, conquered in a dimension we call beloved identity so that we feel no restraint as it pertains to going after the fullness of his face. It's not Leah's fault, but it's absolutely Laban's fault. It's not Leah's fault. This is, this, I, don't, I never want to make the seeker-sensitive church an enemy. It's very dangerous when it's filled with that many people who love God. Yeah. What, I, what I want to aim at in transformation is the narcissism that came from a leadership model that said... That may not be what we were originally longing for, but I can justify it because at least it's related to it. And you can't, you can't ignore the results. Yeah, but you got to be careful because later on your results will start to kill your dream. Leah has results. Rachel has a dreamer. And when... When you get ready to name the 12 tribes of Israel, do you know what they're called? Sons of Abraham. The 12 tribes of Israel, which are the 
ten sons of Jacob and two grandsons of Jacob are actually called the sons of Abraham. Yeshua is called the son of David and the son of Abraham. Whoa. What does this mean? This means you can trace all of this covenant back to Abraham. And you can find one man willing to leave the familiar. And one man who's willing to leave the familiar can create a legacy of dreamers. And I feel like, and I don't mean this, I'm not trying to be derogatory towards any one certain group of people, but I feel like you gave up the mirage so you could have the dream. I feel like you walked away from everything the mirage looked like it could give you so you could hold in your hand the dream. What is the dream? Why is Jacob's dream so valuable to you and I tonight? Because it's proof that Yahweh dreams about two things, territories and generations. Abraham in Hebrews 11 is going into a land that is unfamiliar to him and he's taking the generations with him proving once again Yahweh dreams about territories and he dreams about generations. How do you win the city? You remember that talk? We're going to win the city. We're going to take the city. We're going to storm the gates. How do you win the city? You actually go find the sons that are meant to identify the land and be identified by the land and you give them permission to be fully alive. And that expression of life becomes an agent of redemption, not just for the individual, but for everything under the authority and the governmental rule of that individual who's now functioning in... Listen, why, why do I say the kingdom is about territories and the kingdom is about generations? Because every even natural kingdom works that way. What's the goal? For years to be, take more territory. And then do what with it? Fill it with sons. You, 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 can't, think, you can't think in terms of elected officials and think you're going to understand the kingdom. This is about offspring. This is about offspring. It's about a son finding his place in that city and being able to expand the rule of his father's dominion into territory that's not promised to him. It's been promised long before he got here. Yahweh was just waiting on somebody who dared to believe in the dream. Who would not allow the sons of Leah to kill the dreaming Joseph. See, Yahweh protects that dream. And he will not let the schemes that come as a consequence of dysfunctional vision and settling for being intimate with something related to your original passion. He'll never let that stop the dream from coming to pass. So, the most significant son of Jacob is Joseph. And there is no tribe of Joseph. Joseph doesn't get a tribe named after him. He gets two tribes named after his sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh are the only tribes in Israel that are not the direct descendant of Jacob. Those are Joseph's boys. You want it named after you? Or do you say, I don't care if they ever name one after me. Name one after my boys. You name one, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them they turned the city upside down. You know what? I'll be willing to be a dreamer. I'll be willing to be a dreamer who'll say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become the bridge that connects Abraham to Israel. Come on, I'm going to become the Isaac that stands in the middle and says, I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to become the Jacob that stands in the middle and says, I'm going to dare to believe it. I'm going to keep believing the dream. I'm going to keep believing the dream. I'm going to keep believing the dream. And a man who will dare to continue to believe the dream can actually produce a Joseph who can dare to dream. Listen, who can dare to dream that the man that originally held the dream will actually eventually serve the dreamer. 
Remember Joseph's dreams? Dad bowed down too. So interesting that you started talking about bowing. What was Joseph's dream? Mom, dad, and all the brothers bow. Remember, their stalks bow down to his stalk. And you know what originally it does? It offends the old trickster Jacob that has not fully become Israel yet. See, there's a period of time where Jacob's neither Jacob nor Israel. That place, that thing gets fixed in him at Penuel, where he finally does away. Are y'all okay? Yes. I just keep going and going. I'm not, I left y'all half an hour ago, but I'm still going. <laughs> this is where he finally does away with the internal duplicity of trying to be Jacob when it's beneficial to be Jacob and Israel when it's beneficial to be Israel. And I was, you, know, you know what Jacob actually did? Jacob actually played to the Laban he should have rescued Rachel from. a lot. Now Yahweh used it. Look at the sons of Leah. Yahweh used it. But listen, there's a lot of things that Yahweh uses that were not done his way. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back and recover our original passion. We're going to be willing to linger for what we long for. So our, 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 the poverty of our lingering is not a lingering issue. It's a longing issue. You'll always authentically long for what you, uh, you'll always authentically linger for what you genuinely long for. And what we have to do is allow the spirit to come reinvigorate our longing. Go back and want what you originally wanted. Before there was a Leah in the picture, before there was anything you could be intimate with that was related to what you originally longed for, go back and discover what you originally longed for and long for that. And your longing will give the next generation permission to dream unbelievable dreams. And if you have the humility, you'll actually get to serve them while they're fulfilling their dreams. That's my goal. Is I want to be there to make sure that if they need anything, that it's taken care of. I'm, I, I'm going to be a great check writer in the years to come because they're going to tell me they need something, and I'm going to say, how much, how much is that? And we're going to hand them the check, and we're going to say, now, you want to start a church where? Okay, well, here's the money to go start one there. You want to send a son out there. You want to release an expression there. God's calling you to Kenya. Well, hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's don't evangelize Kenya. Let's disciple Kenya. The call of God is not evangelize nations. It's disciple nations. Actually make disciples of nations. It's the Matthew 28 narrative. We can't get caught up on trying to get the people to repeat the prayer when we've actually been called to fix the whole city. Not find a handful of people in the city who are willing to repeat the prayer then willing to pay their tithes to us because we're the place they chose to repeat the prayer. We actually want to see the degree of transformation that we were designed for, which gives us the ability to do what? Calls the city of Columbia to be now a disciple of Yeshua. Not a few people in the city of Columbia, but we fix Columbia's dysfunction, which is not knowing who she is. And she doesn't know who she is because her fathers don't know who they are. And once a father begins to discover who he is, you watch the resources of the city begin to get unlocked. Watch favor begin to come just simply by mom and dad knowing who they are. I hope it's okay to call you mom and dad. That's just what I'm feeling, seeing, whatever. So y'all awful young to be mom and dad, but mom and dad, mom, mom and dad. And what happens is, is a mother and father get seated in a region and all of a sudden they come, become into the fullness of who they were designed to be, fully alive in the area of their identity and everything around them, let me close with this, everything around them that's been misidentified 
begins to be drawn to legitimate identity. And, And people will come and say, I don't, like you did with me. All I know is I heard a frequency. And when I heard that frequency, what happened is, see, me being identified began to give you hope that you wouldn't have to spend the rest of your life in bed with dysfunctional vision that was related to what you used to be passionate about. Your original longing gets restored. And you know what I had to do? I don't, then, then you know what's easier for me? I don't have to go take Columbia for Jesus. I just have to stay with that man. He just, I just have to be there when he needs me. Why? Because this is not about my dream. It's not about his dream. It's about the dreams before us and the dreamers coming after us. The dreams before us get leveraged into the dreamers that are coming after us. So Yahweh, I bless this house to not just be the place of a dream, but to be the house of dreamers. The sound of the dream, the frequency of the dream begins to awaken the heart of the dreamer. I say that the frequency of the dream of Yahweh concerning what he originally designed us for. This is the restoration of original intent. This is calling you back to who you were originally. Before before you learned to do it well. Before you learned the tricks and the gimmicks. Before you learned how to play the game. Before you learned how to be successful. I'm telling you, I burned brighter before I learned how to be successful. It's taken stepping away from an illegitimate idea of success to get the burning back. And you get to the place where it says, today's not about what I've accomplished. Today's about the degree of my heart. Today is about have I engaged the face of the one from whom nothing is hidden. Find all of my fulfillment there. And Yahweh, we refuse, we refuse to settle for something related to what we were originally passionate about. It was originally all about you, Jesus. It was originally all about your face. It was all about your presence. It was all about you coming into a room in your holiness and beginning to bring transformation and grace for breakthrough. So we stand in this place and we say that this is going to become an epicenter. This is going to become a tipping point. This is going to become a launching pad where Yahweh begins to leverage breakthrough into the culture that is saying, somebody show me who I am. We will answer your cry, Columbia, and we will show you who you are. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are a place where Yahweh's lamp and flame of revival will burn brightly from generation to generation. So I say over you, city of Columbia, you are not without a father, therefore you are not without a name, and I rename you, and you're going to become the city of lights. You're going to become the burning city of revival. You're going to be a fire city filled with the glory of God. Come on, a fire city filled with the glory of God. Like Sherman rolled through here with his tanks, Yahweh will roll through here with his glory, and he will establish a new heavens and a new earth. You will sing, O Columbia, as a Jerusalem to the nations of the earth, a place where Yahweh has established his throne, a place of signs and wonders and miracles and breakthroughs. You'll become a city of healing. You'll become a city of transformation. You'll become a city where those that have lost their way find their dream again. 
I want you to just pray in the spirit for a little while. I, I just apostolically, by way of the authority that has been entrusted into me, I decree over the city of Columbia that you are no longer fatherless. You are no longer motherless. You are no longer without identity, but you are being identified tonight, even this night. Even this night I come to seal that that Joshua and Jordan have been releasing into this community. I come in agreement. I come with the king's seal. I put the signet ring on the stamp of a move of God in this community, and I declare that they are going to find life in these streets. Those that have never known home and those that have never known family are going to find their way, and they're going to dare to believe there's no mistake of the past big enough to stop the dream of the future. No mistake in the past is big enough to stop the dream of the future. Come on, just lift your hands, lift your voice for a moment in the room together as we close tonight. Hallelujah. 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 these streets with singing make this a worship capital for America oh, make Columbia the city of a new sound make Columbia the city of a new frequency feel these streets with psalmist I see psalmist relocating here I see psalmist saying I was on my way to Nashville and at the last minute I heard Yahweh say go to Columbia instead and all of a sudden the artists are going to begin to gather in this city they're going to begin to create the sounds they're going to say you got to come to Columbia to record because there's something in the atmosphere you got to come there to play because there's something in the atmosphere and it's going to begin to fill these downtown streets it's going to begin to fill Lady Street. It's going to feel Gervais. It's going to feel right here Calhoun, I declare. Right up and down Main Street in the city of Columbia, the king will hear the sound of his sons who are daring to dream the dream again. Don't make any small plans here. Don't make any small plans here. I'm telling you, Yahweh has his hand on this. Yahweh has his hand on this. Now I know why I was to come. Now I know why I was to come.
Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moses came down out of the tent of meeting. Moses came down out of the tent of meeting and he went back to instruct the people on that that he had inherited in the tent of meeting but the Bible says but there was a young man named Joshua the son of Nun who remained outside the tent Moses said I got to go back down and take care of the people and Joshua said not me therefore Moses was able to lead the people out but it took Joshua to lead the people in in order to take possession of what's been promised it's going to take a leader sufficiently conquered by his presence. Moses never could get over the opinions of the people. And that narcissism is alive in every systemic expression. Every decision you make is based on the opinions of the people. When that gets broken off of an individual, they're free and they're loose to remember their original passion. What was your original longing? That if we started to lift up his name, he would come. And if he would come, there wasn't a sickness that could stand it. There wasn't a disease that could stand it. There wasn't a, come on, there wasn't, there wasn't, there, there wasn't a substance that could stand it. There wasn't a spirit that could stand it. And so you're just going to keep lifting up your voice and he's going to keep coming. And he's going to keep coming and he's going to keep coming. And he's going to keep coming and he's going to keep coming. 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 Bless this house. I bless this family. I bless mom and dad. I bless their marriage. Bless their daughter. Bless the family here. Bless them with hunger, Yahweh. If you're going to bless them, bless them with hunger for what they originally longed for. Yahweh, thank you for, for by grace refusing to allow us to settle for Leah. We so easily could have, like so many others, settled for something related to what we were originally passionate about. But in goodness, you came and said, nope, there's not a Joseph in there. You stay with Leah, you'll never lay your eyes on a Joseph. If you never lay your eyes on a Joseph, then you never lay your eyes on a Benjamin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You feel the weight of his glory in the room? Thank you, Lord. I honor you. Thank you for inviting me to come. Thank you to my familiar folks that are here with us and the unfamiliar ones that we're looking forward to meeting. And um, you're not in this by yourself. Okay, regardless of how many of you there are, you're not in this by yourself. So you've got family. We're hidden out in the woods, but we'll, we're here. Amen. We love you. Bless you. Thank you for making the effort to be here. And thank you guys again for the invitation. Bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information, 
visit dreamcolumbia.com.